Welcome to Coffee Pods, a 15-minute coffee-length look at one of the difficult issues around the Christian healing ministry. So plug yourself in, pick up your mug of coffee, and let's go. Good morning, and it's great to have you with us in uh, Coffee Pods uh, today. Uh, This is number seven. And uh, as we promised, after the first six, where we dealt with some of the uh, challenging issues in the Christian healing ministry, we invited you to send in some of your own questions as well. So Penny has asked, um, I'd like to understand just what Jesus is saying as we reach out to the hurting and pray healing in his name regarding the inability of the disciples to heal the young child whilst the events of the transfiguration were taking place in Mark chapter 9. Mark records Jesus' comments so explicitly that I feel I must be missing the point somewhere. And Penny, you're not alone in trying to work out uh, how this thing unfolds. Of course, it's interesting that these two stories come one after the other. And it has that very famous uh, phrase in the King James Version. Anyhow, it says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Or, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelieving. Well, the narrative of the story is that nine of the disciples are down at the foot of the mountain trying to respond to this very human need of a father bringing a son. And the son is either possessed or oppressed by a a, a demon. Whereas the other three disciples, the three, as they're called, Peter, James and John, are up the mountain with Jesus uh, in what we call the transfiguration where they're witnessing the veil between Jesus' humanity and deity pulled back for a moment as they get a glimpse of who he really is. You couldn't have a greater contrast, heaven and hell so close at hand. Maybe, since Satan cannot get to Jesus in these moments, he's chosen to get to those closest to him. It's a common tactic that many of us in ministry and in life have found with family or the vulnerable in in church or in prayer teams. As we seek to bring the kingdom in, in one direction, we find we're fighting over another kingdom in another direction. It's possible too, of course, that Jesus is giving the nine the opportunity to grow away from the three, Peter, James and John, and allowing them to learn too, uh, as he does also with us. Remember that often Jesus will take Peter, James and John with him uh, into healing moments, Jairus' daughter and other things like that. But the interesting thing, of course, is that the Christian healing ministry is essentially about us taking responsibility with God for his will being done on earth. Let me just run that by you again. The Christian healing ministry is essentially about taking responsibility with God for his will being done on earth. Yeah, we are involved. So after the transfiguration, which is another great uh, moment in the life of the three disciples, particularly Peter, um, Peter, James and John and Jesus come down the mountain 
and encounter what maybe just began as a regular moment of ministry, rapidly turning into a circus. In fact, the text records that as they see Jesus coming, crowds come running to see him and to see the spectacle. Um, And of course, the demon goes into overdrive as he starts to rob the boy of dignity, peace and wholeness. And of course, Satan's strategy is always to take from us what was ours by virtue of God's grace in creation. It is, of course, the very thing that is restored to us in the cross, our place in the working of God's kingdom. Now, you can't doubt the disciples like us had a genuine desire to be channels of God's healing. But the disciples like us still have a great deal of self in the mix, too. Um, It's interesting. Just look how Peter uh, reacts on the mountain as he's seeing the transfiguration take place. And there's still a lot of Peter in the mix to which God has to, you know, put him uh, quite right and just get him to listen uh, to Jesus. It's interesting. The difference, of course, is that Jesus is always self-aware, but not self-focused. And disciples, like us, often seem to be the reverse, don't we? So, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, um, Mark records uh, the fact that, and bear in mind, Mark is using Peter as his source. um, But Mark records the fact that Jesus had already given the disciples authority to preach and drive out demons. Uh, the word to drive out is ekbalo, and um, it has the notion of violence, or of expelling them with force. So having been authorised by Jesus and commissioned by Jesus and sent by Jesus, why doesn't it work now? And that's a question that we're often uh, asking in the ministry as we come up with um, challenges and, and the, the journey of people's lives and the circumstances that they're in. Well, I guess the first thing really is that it's not a formula. It's a relationship. We don't act independent of God, but we act in dependency on him. So it's not that there's a little formula of magic words that we can use that always work. Something else is at work here. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. And and that's not just about saying the words in a worship song or, or in a service, but it's almost like saying nobody can say to sickness, Jesus is Lord and make it stick without the Holy Spirit. Nobody can tell a demon that Jesus is Lord and make it stick without the Holy Spirit. So there is very much here um, a a tension with us between the flesh and the spirit. And and the flesh, um, or even if you call it the self-life, often leads the disciples to act out of what I call good flesh 
um, they trying to do um, the right thing, but all for the wrong reasons, or are they doing the wrong thing for the right reasons? It's one of them. But it's when we try and do God's work for him, but we try and act in a sense without the spirit. So, you know, um, James and John wanting to call down fire from heaven and Peter telling Jesus that you're not going to do this and Jesus having to rebuke Satan and say, get behind me. And, you know, we try and do things our way for God and they never work. The other thing, of course, is that we often want primacy or recognition or acknowledgement. Whereas how often does Jesus take uh, people away from the public gaze? It's also a battle. And there is clearly a bigger issue here as this um, quickly in verse 25 becomes a spectacle. I guess one of the other questions is, you know, were there tensions in the team itself between the nine as they were trying to work out, you know, the best way to do this? So it then comes down to Jesus being asked by the disciples, why couldn't we do this? And he says, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And again, he's sort of tempted to say, well, OK, is there a little formula here? Is there something that I missed? And I guess the answer is probably no. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus isn't just talking about the activity of praying and the activity of going without food, of fasting, because Jesus has criticizes the Pharisees for going through those very actions as if that's what required. And in fact, of course, the prophets of Baal go through the same exercise on Mount Carmel before Elijah. So the focus here about prayer and fasting is actually a focus on communing with God, praying, and laying down the flesh, or subduing the flesh, fasting. Uh, in the New Testament, there are different words for, for prayer. There are asking words. Um, and so in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 8, um, the, the, the word used is ahiteo. And it means to ask or to beg or to call, to, to crave, to, to desire something. But there are also communing words. Um, prosukomahi which is to pray to God or to worship, to, to draw near, to make prayer. And so there are asking words and there are communing words. And actually the words that very often Jesus is using about praying are not just the words about asking, there are words about communing with God, about being present with him and receiving from him, listening to him as well as talking to him. But of course, fasting was not just about going without food. Uh, it was about subduing the flesh, putting our old nature in its proper place. We, we don't live by our desires and our appetites, our opinions, our presumptions and, and our prejudices. It's those that we lay aside so that we can respond with the perspective of heaven with heaven's power. Uh, Jesus lays down his flesh, and you're wondering where. Well, it happens in the waters of baptism with John the Baptist. Jesus is not, in a sense, confessing sin because he doesn't have any. So what's he doing in the waters of baptism? Well, he's fulfilling all righteousness. He's laying down his natural flesh, and he's saying, I will not live here as uh, human and flesh, but I will live as man 
relying and full of the Holy Spirit. And in the healing ministry, we have to do exactly the same. We have to draw near to God. It's not so much about preparing the meeting as preparing ourselves, but also we have to ensure that our flesh, our natural nature, our desires, our opinions, even the temptation to think, oh, we've prayed for this before, we know how to do that, laying even that aside and coming in dependency on God. So, of course, the lovely thing is that Jesus responds to the Father as he comes uh, to this situation and the Father says, you know, if you can do anything, and I, I love the phrase that Jesus says, if you can do anything, all things are possible for him who believes. And of course, in that wonderful way that Jesus does, he, he brings heaven's light and life. He releases the boy from heaven's grip. He releases the father from unbelief. And he opens up the eyes of the disciples about taking responsibility with God for the work of the kingdom. And I guess our prayer is, God, open my eyes too. The thing that is lovely, of course, is that the disciples then privately come and say, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus then addresses the issue. And of course, scripture is a, a, a complete record of, of what God wants us to know. But of course, not necessarily all the details uh, are there. So I, I wonder what else Jesus added into them that um, Mark has just recorded from Peter's story. that This is what Jesus said. But the emphasis is that we need to continually be drawn near to God, to live in that place. And many of the great heroes of the healing ministry, that was their pattern, that was their rule of life. They were constantly being drawn near to God. And the second, I guess, is that we subdue our flesh, that we don't live out of our prejudices. In fact, uh, we really don't know what we need to do until we've heard God speak to us. So um, I hope that that's been helpful for you. And I hope it's been helpful for Penny. It was certainly helpful for me, again, looking at the story. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you draw us to take responsibility with you in your kingdom for the work of the kingdom. And we simply ask today that, Lord, you would open our eyes too, that we may see all that you are working in us, not just simply in ministry, but as ministers of your life and of your love to others. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Coffee Pods today. We appreciate you giving us the time. If you've got any comments or questions, then please do let us have them at info at acornchristian.org. And we look forward to meeting you again.